I talked to my parts. My vision was always going to be golf. Everything is evolving and adapting. Who said you had to stay in one thing for your whole life? If you're living the life you want, you've won the lottery. Hi, I'm Laura. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Kim. This is Nikki. And I'm Louise. Hi, and welcome to the Best Parts Podcast, where we invite you to pull up a chair and think about your best parts, which are all your parts. Hi, everyone. I wanted to bring a very serious topic to the group today, a topic I don't think we talk enough about, and one that I feel is very important. It's something that's come up a lot for me lately, as I work through a lot of those limiting beliefs and stories with my career coaching clients. And I don't think we've actually talked about this here in the group. So I want to ask you this. Now, I want everyone to answer at the same time. All right. So here we go. So as a kid, I want to know, what did you want to be when you grew up? Adventure photographer, conservation athlete. Nancy Drew. (laughs) (laughs) And we have talked about it. Well, we've only talked about the Nancy Drew. Yeah, well, Nancy Drew's come up many times here on our podcast. So, Laura, Nancy Drew. Yeah, I wanted to be Nancy Drew, and I wanted to live in a boarding school in England. Those are the two things I wanted to do as a kid. And the weird thing is, I had kind of accomplished both of those things by the time I was in my early 20s. And I feel like I have a story that the mistake I made was I did not actually set another accomplishment. So I became oh. I became an online fraud detection person. That was my Nancy Drew. And I had gone right out of college. I went and spent six months and lived in London. So that was me getting to go live in a quote boarding school. And it wasn't a boarding house kind of thing. So yeah, I did both by the time I was in my t- early 20s. Do you have a series of books like Nancy Drew? <laughs> Now, that was an author. That's probably what I should have, you know, moved towards. But, you know, I'd become a detective. That's what I was at that point. Cool. I wanted That's to be cool. a professional athlete. Like I wanted to be a, at one point, a professional soccer player. And at another point, I wanted to be a professional basketball player. And then it turned into professional golfer. And I almost did it. And then I just got burnt out. So instead I became a golf professional, which is different. That's where you teach the sport. You don't play it for money. You teach it for money. So I was close. I call, yeah, I would call that done. Done and dusted, sister. Well, I wanted to like be on TV and have people watch me play golf. So that's not quite how it turned out. I also wanted to be a therapist, a psychologist, and a firefighter. I didn't become an, I actually, you know, the thing about the therapy, I always felt like I would get too worked up and involved in like a client's life that I would take it all on as my own. So I never thought I could do that. And now that I'm a coach, I'm like, oh, I can totally do that. Totally do that. (laughs) Same. That's what I thought about being a therapist too. It was for the same reason I didn't, but now as a coach, I'm like, oh, I don't know why that was a concern. Yeah. I also wanted to be a therapist, but it wasn't until I actually started college as a pre-med psych major. And I wanted to go the medical route as well as be a therapist. And I got scared away by people who were in the business and I allowed myself to drift off course. But when I was little, I'm, it was the same as now. I want to do all, I wanted to do all the things. I didn't want to be pigeonholed into one thing. And when I think about it, it's like all those things that I enjoyed doing, being in the theater, cooking, hairdressing. I, (laughs) 
in high school. And then now again, during the pandemic have become a hairdresser. So it like all the different things. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to help people. I wanted to work with children. I want to like all, I never had one thing and I still am kind of like that. I could just almost exactly echo Kim's because I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a tap dancer. I wanted to be an adventure photographer. I wanted to just get to travel the world and do things and see things and meet people. And there was a wide, wide variety of things. And sometimes, you know, when you're playing and doing stuff as a kid, I would do all of them at the same time. I would be a tap dancing actor teacher in... (laughs) Oh yeah. As I was playing with other kids. So I was like, let's just do all of them. Sweet. Yeah. And they would do what they wanted to do, like 10 different things. I found that when I started babysitting, when I was a little bit older, I would bring all those things, all that imaginary play in with, with those kids. And so I became the favorite babysitter because it was, I would bring in the tap dancing restaurant owner, teacher, what, like it would all happen at the same time. There was some time where there was roller skates in the middle of when we were playing school, (laughs) whatever. It all happened at the same time. I think that's why my niece loved me is because she'd say, make up another song. And so I'd be teaching her the alphabet. We'd be making up a different song and we'd be dancing around. So it's just a lot of practice. (laughs) So much fun. I had to call, I had to call my mom. And I was like, mom, what did I want to be when I was a kid? I have no idea. I don't remember like being attracted to one profession or like a thing. I was like, what, what did I say? And my mom was like, I don't think I ever asked you. (laughs) Okay. Well, what was it? She's like, it just, all of those things that you like to do, I just thought you would keep doing them. And one of the things like, growing up as a kid, I was always part of the outdoors, always camping, fishing, being out with my dad and doing all of those things. And my mom was like, I just thought you would just go into your environmental conservationism. And that's what I did. That's what I went to school for. So I was out to save the world. Well, saving the world in a different way. But that was that was just something that I, it almost felt like a, a snowball, just something that just kept growing with me as I grew. And I was able to launch into at least education-wise something that fit. Now life gets busy and things happen. But I, I wanted to bring this question to the group because I think it's so interesting that sometimes we lose our way and we're like, I don't know, especially in our jobs and in those roles that we become so attached to. We're like, well, I don't, I'm, I'm not where I wanted to be. But yet when we think about it, I think we are in, in a way, we just we just look at it differently. So yeah, I'm not a conservation officer, or I didn't join Greenpeace to save the world. But I am in a very connected and helping profession. And I, so that fire inside me has still stayed. And I, and I think it's interesting to touch back on that. I was just thinking as you all were talking about your cool childhoods that I think I wish I was a part of because I wanted to have roller skates as a with my babysitter. That sounds fun. But I always knew when I started playing golf at this age of eight or nine, that was like my vision was always going to be golf. Golf was my future. I always thought it was going to be professional playing 
but I knew that golf was a part of my life no matter what. And so it's, that's really what it's become is I was a golf professional at a course and now a golf coach. And then I think about my sister, my sister wanted to be a teacher from a young age and she's been a teacher for 25 years. And so I feel like we both kind of had this thing we wanted and we just stayed the course and it's, it, it fits like even with going from a golf coach to doing life coaching, it's still, I don't know. I feel like I'm on that same path too, that I always thought I would be. So I feel fortunate, I suppose. I always wanted that. I always wanted that one place of passion in my life where it was like, this is the thing. This is what lights me up. And part of me feels like that's why I was attracted to the arts because things change. And especially in theater, which is what I have my undergrad in, you do get to change those roles. You, you do get to embody some, somebody else for a little while. And I just kept reinventing myself as I got older. And now I've found that that's actually my passion is continuing to find the things that I'm interested in in that moment. And yet it's, there's still part of me that's like, man, it would be so much easier if there was just that thing that since I was a kid, I wanted to do. And since I was a kid, I guess what I wanted to do was just fully experience the human experience. That's what I'm landing on anyway. <laughs> I think it's, it's different for everyone, right? And when we try to fit our way into that prescribed way that we're hearing about it, it can seem like it's like, what am I doing? Why am I bouncing around from career to career or from this to that? When really there's nothing wrong with that. Who said you had to stay in one thing for your whole life and, and keep doing things. So what about where we are now and where you see yourself heading? If I ask this question as an adult, where do you see yourself when you grow up or even five, 10 years from now, what does that look like? Have I won the lottery or not won the lottery? <laughs> that would look different. If you're living the life you want, you've won the lottery. Okay. Oh, nicely said. I should probably. I see a start. quote card on your future. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Money, money is, it does have something to do with it. But to me, I think I've also landed on my feet of saying that if I'm doing what I love, then I've won the lottery. Yes, I agree. But also I would love to have a lot of money. I don't disagree <laughs> with that part either. I think, okay, so I'm going to answer the original question of where do you want to be in the next five years when you grow up? We want to live in a sleepy beach town that's within an hour of a major airport, so travel is not difficult, and have a little bungalow with a home office, and I want to be a, I think, a full-time life coach, but I think that's like the 10-year thing from now is a full-time life coach, and I want to run three-day women's seminars. I, I think I've told all of you this before. I want to run three-day women's seminars for women and women, people who identify as women who work in male-dominated fields. And I want to teach them life skills and how to play golf and to help better their career. So I just imagine doing retreats all the time and living in some awesome little beach town where I can learn how to surf and walk the dog on the beach. That's where I want to be. I've obviously thought about it. <laughs> that was definitely not off the cuff. <laughs> no, I've thought about this a lot. It's beautiful. You got to know where you want to go. Because if right. not, which direction do you head? Oh, gosh, that's a, 
An interesting question. I also have a five or 10 year plan of what I want to be when I grow up. But you know what, honestly, right now, it seems murky. <laughs> I feel like I'm a magic eight ball. <laughs> the answer is murky. <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny. I literally don't know how to answer the question at the moment. And I think that's okay, right? I mean, maybe it's changing. You know, something I want to go back to something that Kim said, wishing that she had a, a one particular thing. I think that this is something, and actually I'm curious with all of you, because I've tried this with my clients. Do you find value in having them unpack what it is they wanted to be and see if they can incorporate some of that into their lives? So if they wanted to be an artist, do you have them see that that doesn't mean that they have to quit their job and become an artist 24-7 and instead have them start incorporating more artistic things into their daily lives, like a hobby? Well, I find usually... It's not the thing that we get attached to. It's the feeling that right. thing brings to us. So I, I, I do work with some creatives that are like, I just can't possibly do this thing, right? Write a book, be an artist to make a living. So I need to find something else to make a living at. And it's like, well, but being creative appears in so many places in your life. What is it about being a creative or being an author or being an artist that you really, that, what does it bring to you? And how does that transform itself into other places in your life? And you can be creative in many, many ways. It's, it's the act of creation sometimes is what you're looking for. So how do you incorporate that piece of it into your career, into your job, getting connected with those feelings that it brings up. I think that's a key to bringing that forward. And I, and that's kind of why I brought this question up to the group today was that feeling that we had, that thing that we, we thought we wanted to do is usually a feeling that it brings to us. And we've carried that through. That's a thread that I don't think breaks in our lives and finding that thread and as a kid and where we are now and where we want to go. I think that's really important. Well, and even to find play within that, because as a kid, we were talking about role-playing as teachers and this kind of stuff. And so particularly within creativity, sometimes if it is your job, you lose that sense of play in there. Whereas if it's just for fun, if nobody's going to see it, if you're doing it just for you, you can bring that lightheartedness in. And if it's feeling hard, you can find another way to approach it. Maybe if painting isn't working, maybe it is time to try writing or tap dancing or doing something different where you get to find that lightheartedness in there because it doesn't always have to be about work or the work. It can be about rediscovering what you enjoy there and growing from that. I think that's a good point, Nikki. I, I talk a lot to my clients. A lot of what they're after is the play, the fun, the joy. And I try to ask, work with them to find out how can they bring that back into their lives? Yeah, I am blessed that I had at 39 years old, I had our daughter and she is interested in all the things as well. So I get to re experience that with her. And it's a constant reminder to me. I've always been playful. That's always been part of my life. That's who, that's a lot of who I did, how I describe myself. And when we, when I get focused on something, it's really easy for me to lose that sense of playfulness. It's like, okay, this is what I need to do. And I need to get really serious. And I kind of put on that facade of 
I need to get it done. And, and I know that I took that facade into all, probably all of my workplaces as an employee, I showed up to do the job. I didn't show up as me. And as I'm more experiencing what it's like to be me around the clock, I find leaning into play being so much easier. And I agree. It's that feeling, right? It makes that feeling more accessible. And I think that that's what I was going for as a kid was I just was following my whim. If I wanted to open a restaurant one day and teach another day and do, it didn't matter. And that is the feeling that I'm having in my life right now is I do get to welcome all these different parts of me in makes me a little bunker sometimes, but in the end it's, I'm also much more fulfilled. And I find, I, I do like, (laughs) I do get kind of angry when people ask our daughter what she wants to be when she grows up. Like, what is it that you want to do? What do you want to do? And I get really angry because it's like, stop trying to put her in that hole. And we all have different parts of ourselves. And so she's 10, give her some space. Well, and that play really injects that ease in there. Like you said, when that facade is on, that creates a lot of tension, not just in your body, but also in your mind, because you have to be serious and you have to like tamp down part of yourself. And so to be able to be in that space of play or lightheartedness or experimentation brings an ease where you can lean into that clarity. You can lean into your true yes and your true no, and you can really find your way through whatever it is you're doing a lot easier as opposed to, okay, how will this make everybody else happy? How can I do this to, for everything outside of myself, instead of what feels good, what is exciting, what is lighting me up? Gosh, I'd love to have a deep conversation on imposter syndrome because that's all my mind is spinning. That <laughs> anytime, anytime. <laughs> I like the thought process of the feeling you had when you were a kid because I never really thought about that. And I realized that when I was a kid, I just always wanted to help people and, and be like a leader. If we were playing basketball, I was the little tomboy, as they, they would call it. And I would go play with all two-hand touch football and basketball with all the boys down the street while the girls were inside doing whatever. I was always the one that would take charge and be like, you're on this team and you're on that team and here's the goal line and here's what we're doing. And (laughs) I know that's shocking. Um, (laughs) But now I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's kind of what I've brought into my life. Even I don't, I've never found myself to be a super creative person. When I think of creative, I think of the arts and what Kim's saying. I don't know. but I'm writing a book right now. And I realized the book is about helping people. So it all just kind of fell in, in line. That I have way. to challenge this belief, Sarah. You're the one that does all of our social media. I never thought of myself as creative like that, but I guess, I guess I am. Well, you're putting out, you're like putting out a newsletter and your own social media and you, you did our website and your website. The best parts podcast.com. Well, and I, it's it. funny because what is creativity? you know, this is, again, this could be a whole other episode is what is creativity? Because I see you as a very creative person. Sarah, you showed up to our gathering in braids and a hat that, what was it? Dachshund through the snow? Dachshund through the snow. It had a bell and everything. Yes. And it had a bell. To me, that is very creative. So I think it just depends on how you define that for yourself to say, that's not me or that's me because I see you as very creative, but it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what you think. I love this therapy session. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so interesting to me. I, so 
creativity, imposter syndrome, the facade we put on, what we want to be when we grow up, what we want to be when we grow up now, right? In the next five, 10, 15, whatever it is, years. It, it fascinates me to think about the, the ways we second guess what it is we want. So I'm curious if, the, if anybody wants to speak into that in particular, in terms of whether it was something that you wanted as a kid or something you want now, creativity or otherwise, is there a roadblock that you regularly put in your way? Perfectionism. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes and always. And. Perfectionism is, is. So how do you work around it or through it? I'm just going to speak to something because I just brought it up. I've had this book sitting on my computer for a year and it's the fear of putting it out there and it not being good enough. Thanks mom. It's that it's like the, what if I put it out there and it doesn't sell? What if, what if, what if like, and we've said this before, the what ifs go both ways. What if it's a New York times bestseller, but I go down the path of what if it's not good. And so to work the question of, to work through it is I finally just took a jump and I reached out to someone and I have a, actually have a coaching session next week with a writing coach to figure out how the hell am I going to get this book at least pushed towards publishing. But I think it's just, you have to decide and you have to, it's, we talked about this a lot in season one, you have to take the first step. And that's how I work through that. And the next step and the next step and the next step. Yeah. Action. Like I said, I think I said in the first season, action is magic. Actually taking that step is the critical thing. I have a lot of inner critics. Sounds like everybody has a lot of inner critics. You know, it's got to be perfect. It's not good enough. People, what, what happens if it fails? I work with them to try to understand what's driving their concern with my, my inner critics. You ask me what I do. So that's what I do is I try to understand what their fears and concerns are and then let them know, you know, it'll be okay. We'll figure it out as we go. So I talk to my parts. Are you shocked? <laughs> that's crazy I've second never time i get those. to do that do you have parts i did this interesting activity when i started my business and that was like the that perfect day activity where it's like okay so if i saw myself you know my future louise how does the perfect day go what does she do at work what does she do at play who's in her life and so i wrote this out and kind of had it had a vision of what this future life would look like. And earlier this year, I reread that perfect day that I had written out. And I found it really surprising that although it didn't seem like I was any closer to that perfect day, I was really, really close. And it was so interesting that even though life didn't kind of play out in the last year how I expected it to. When I looked at all of those things that I wanted to fill my day, when I looked at who the people were, it's like maybe I got some of the names wrong, but I still had beautiful people in my life. And maybe I got a few of the details wrong. But when I looked at the core, when I looked at the feeling, like what is that feeling that I want every day when I wake up, I had it. And I was like, holy shit, like that I'm, I'm doing really, I'm doing really well. 
And it was, it was just that action that having a look at, maybe it's not these tightly held outcomes that really push us along, but when we can see where we're headed and that feeling that we want in our lives and, and how that, how that really works, it was so revealing to me. I am on the right path. I am doing all that stuff. I'm not so far away from where I want to be. That was really that was very motivating. Very, I felt very connected. That's one of those days where it goes from a three or a four up to a five or a six. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and, and those be- beautiful people's names changed to Kim and Sarah and Nikki and Laura instead of who, <laughs> they, who uh, those sure other people did. were. Right? Or other people? Yeah. Move over <laughs> other people. Is other people in your life? What? <laughs> you, up, you upselled. I did. You traded up. You traded up. You did. Something for me that really helps that perfectionism is something that we do as a group. And I saw how it works to move us forward. And that was our 80% rule. We have to feel like it's 80% ready to get out there because otherwise we would probably still be having meetings and not be doing anything because we were trying to be perfect or I was trying to be perfect anyway. I guess I won't speak for everyone, but in previously and still creeps in once in a while is I want it perfect. I want to get it done. I want to put it out there and I don't want to think about it again, but that's not real because everything that I'm putting out there is things that are evolving and changing and adapting as I grow, as my business grows, as my clients grow even. So things need to change. Things need to move and adjust. It's not something that I'm going to put out there that is static and reaches an air quotes done place. It's everything is evolving and adapting. That's what I love about my clients. And that's what I'm learning to love about my business. So it's helping to loosen the clenched fingers around. It needs to be perfect or it will be wrong. So the grip on that is loosening. And I'm really leaning into that, that at least 80% place. (laughs) Well, I feel like we are 80% complete here on this episode. So I think it's time to wrap things up. I want to thank everyone for taking a little trip down memory lane, but really kind of grabbing a hold of those threads that we want to weave through the rest of our lives. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Kim, Laura, Sarah, and Nikki for sharing today. We love you and all the parts are the best parts. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Best Parts Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would love it if you would share this podcast on social media or with anyone you think would enjoy it. After all, sharing is caring. And be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts as it helps others find us. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at the Best Parts Podcast or visit our website at thebestpartspodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And until next time, remember that all the parts are the best parts.